Hi, everyone. Welcome to Genealogy Adventures. I'm Brian Sheffy. And I'm Donya Williams. How are you guys doing today? We have a great, great show for you guys because we got a last minute guest and she is awesome. Absolutely awesome. So you want to say hi to anybody or you want to just jump straight through? I can't wait to jump in. Hi, everyone. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know we love you. It's such an awesome show. I can't wait to get stuck in. <laughs> yes, let's get into it. Okay, so I'm getting ready to let me do the introductions. Miss Judith Professor Judith Giesberg. She um holds the Robert M. Birmingham Chair in Humanities and is a professor of history at Villanova University. Um, she is the author of Civil War Sisterhood, the United States Sanitary Commission and Women's Politics and Transition, among other books. Um, she's also the director and digital of the digital project Last Seen, Finding Family After Slavery. Now, this collection is digitizing and transcribing information wanted ad, wanted ads taking out taken out by formerly enslaved people looking for family members lost to the domestic slave trade which is what this show is about so please 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 welcome professor judy giesberg everyone welcome to the show <laughs> thank you tanya and thank you brian thanks for having me no problem so, this is going to be an awesome show <laughs> absolutely um I'm really curious how this even became a project for you. How did how did this actually kind of suck you in and, and become your passion? So these ads that uh, we are now collecting on this site uh, appear in uh, the first place that I saw them uh, was the Christian Recorder, which is a black newspaper that's published um, here in Philadelphia, where I live and teach. Um, uh, from uh, it's published by Mother Bethel uh, AME Church in Philadelphia, and and these advertisements. I came across these advertisements when I was researching Philadelphia during the Civil War, um, the Black community in Philadelphia during the Civil War. And these ads are, um, you know, I, I came across the ads just reading about what's going on in Black Philadelphia during the Civil War, and uh, this was years ago, more than ten years ago now, and um, and. I access those newspapers through a subscription service that we have at, you know, at our library at Villanova that allows me to, to access these ads. And when I saw them, my thought was that these are, you know, chock full of genealogical information that uh, really ought to be open to the public and one, you know, shouldn't have to have uh, a subscription to some sort of service in order to get to these digitized, you know, newspapers. So it started with, uh, it started just with one newspaper. And I, at the time, didn't know how big, you know, this collection of these newspaper advertisements would be. We thought, you know, when I started it in 2017, I thought maybe we could find a thousand of these newspapers and, and put them on a website and then folks could use them to, um, you know, for genealogical purposes. Um, and, and maybe, you know, if there was one newspaper that had them, maybe some other newspapers would have them. Um, and now we're, uh, we're closing in on 4,000 of these ads and over 100 newspapers from across the country. Cool. So was it just the base? Wow. That's yeah. huge. So was it just the basic humanity of seeing families that have been split apart through 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 cruelty trying to trying to reconnect and, and find each other kind of was it that human element that that really kind of touched you yes the ads are are, are incredibly moving uh, you know ads one of the first ones the first one that that uh that we put up on the site is an is an example it just you know it, it's uh they're they're, they're full of they're full of details um, about, you know, names and places, but they also just evoke, um, you know, the, the deepest human emotions that you can imagine. Mothers, the ones that really just got me that I saw first were the mothers looking for children who had been sold away from them. And the way they describe their children, one of the first ones is a, a woman named Elizabeth Williams who describes her, you know, children that she hadn't seen for 35 years. And she talks about how her love from that for them has, you know, survived 35 years of slavery and, and, you know, and she's still searching for them 35 years later. Um, and yeah, each, you know, the, the ads are, um, 
you know, it, it, you can come to them as, as, you know, as a, as a scholar or as a, as a, a descendant. Um, and you also are struck by just the humanity of, you know, of, of the way they describe each other and how they can hold on to those emotions and those feelings for all of those years. And those emotions and those feelings, they really do come through. Even though the ads themselves don't tend to be very long, you really get a sense of the, the emotion the people were feeling who left them. Yes, absolutely. Um, you know, they, uh, I, like you said, they're, they're really very, very brief, um, you know, ads, but they're, they do so much, uh, you know, work. They, they are family histories. Um, sometimes, you know, this is the only place that you can find all of these people sort of, you know, listed in one place um, because you can't find these families listed, you know, in a census before 1870. Um, and then after 18, you know, and then if they're separated, if they were separated in slavery, then you might not find them in 18, in the 1870 census either, or any of the ones after that. So these ads really do a lot of work, just sort of putting all these people together together in one place before that kind of genealogical wall that is the 1870 census. Um, and, but they also describe, again, they, just the way that they, they, you know, just a brief reference can take you back to a moment when these people lived together or the moment at which they were separated uh, when they describe things. And, and another one that, that, uh, that just really can uh, just get you is another example is, you know, a, a young woman who talks about being sold from her mother when she could just crawl. Um, you know, so these kind of, you know, these, these ways in which you mark time, everybody marks time based on sort of, you know, um, the, the people around them and their loved ones. And, and you see all of that in, 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 in these ads. Um, yeah. And we are going to be showing showing a few of them, because <clears throat> uh, again, even on your front page, there's some amazing examples there. I mean, people who saw their, their mother or their father, and it's been 30 or 40 years, or other people who didn't get the opportunity to actually physically reconnect, but communicate it through letters. Um, and they're, like I said, they're, they're so poignant, and they're so moving. And having read quite a few of them myself, some of the other really important pieces of information that they contained are things like names of enslavers, names of former enslavers, places where they lived, places where they were enslaved, where they were living when they actually wrote the advertisement. So there's important uh, geographical kind of um, clues and information in there as, as well as the family information. Exactly. Yep. 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 Yeah, the uh, the um, right and 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 also just for what they used, you know, name changes. Some of these ads, mm. you know, can take you through several different name changes of one person. I used to be called, you know, Johnson, and then before that, I was Williams. Or you know, they they sort of go through that. They they can also give you those kinds of bread, genealogical breadcrumbs in in, in helping to find, um, you know, ancestors. Did you come across any examples where someone's name completely changed, like both their first and their last name? Yes, um, I um, definitely that they're they're not they're not only changing uh, their surnames; they're changing their given names as well. Which, as we know, as genealogists, is just just a joy. Isn't that just great? <laughs> Love it. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Oh, and before I forget, how long has the project actually been going for? We started working on it, um, my uh, really just myself and um, a graduate student at Villanova in uh, 2017. And uh, we're, um, yeah, and like I said, at the time we thought, well, let's see what we, you know, how many that we can find. Um, and we quickly realized that the project was much bigger than then could be, you know, <laughs> then could be contained in a couple of years. Um, and uh, thankfully, we've got um, some support from the National Archives now. And uh, it'll keep going for at least another, uh, another two years. And, and in the meantime, we'll keep applying for more, um, for more of that support. And Villanova is uh, committed to keeping um, the project going as long as, um, as long as people keep using it. And as long as we keep finding, and we, I imagine we will keep finding more ways for these ads to be useful to people. Wow. Well, Villanova Uni University, thank you for supporting and using. We, we are using it. Um, 
So have you read? So in the beginning, it was you and a grad student actively looking for the ads. Have you actually come to a point now where, because the public can actually submit them, they can go to your website and they can actually submit them. Are you finding that there's now as much of an effort from the public to give them to you? I mean, have you reached that sweet spot where you're you're still not the onus for finding them is no longer just on you guys? Um, no, I, you know, I, so. Um, for a while, for sort of a, you know, two or three years in, people were going to, you know, some digitized sources to find the ads. Um, but, uh, but really the vast majority of the advertisements that are now in the collection, we get from going through the microfilm, <laughs> which, um, <laughs> which is, uh, is a big ask for us to, you know, um, expect or hope that users are going to, you know, take it upon themselves to go to their local library and get on a microfilm reader and see what they can find. So really, um, you know, there have been submissions by our users, uh, you know, when, when people first started getting excited about the project, they went to newspapers.com or they went to the Library of Congress's website to, you know, where the digitized newspapers are, and they found a lot of those there. Um, uh, but, you know, but, but really in the end, what the vast majority of them, like I said, um, you know, we, we order the paper and, uh, and the students read through the papers to find, to find the ads. And um, so, well, go ahead. You was going to call my name. I was going to say, as you're asking the question, can you bring up the, the website? Yeah, I'm getting ready to do that now. I'm just trying to share like we normally do. So at the beginning, Brian asks most of the questions because I'm sharing this with everybody <laughs> in the process. But I did want to ask, you know, as far as um, the website is concerned, how I noticed one of the things up there, you asked if someone wanted to transcribe, but, you know, how does that work? That's the transcription of right. it all. Right. Um, I'm glad you asked that, Danya. Um, so that so we have a lot of participation from users um, who um, log on because it, this project is crowdsourced transcribed. So that means all we do is find the ads and we load them up to the site, and then our users uh, can sign up for transcription accounts, and um, and they are the ones that are doing the hard work of transcribing these ads. So when the pay, when the ad is first loaded up, you can see an image of the ad. Um, but you can't search it until, uh, not by keyword or by any of those amazing things until one of our, or our transcribers actually does the work of transcribing it. And then the whole, all of the data that's in the ad is discoverable by keyword search. Um, so yes, if you go to the website, you can sign up to transcribe it and you can be part of uh, the discovery of, of what the, all the, you know, everything that the ads have to offer. Okay. Cool. And do you have a bit of a backlog on that, or is um, in terms of tra uh, images that need to be transcribed? Um, so it, it it comes in fits and and um, and spurts. So uh, sometimes we've you know we've uploaded a lot, and our transcribers are uh, most of our transcribers. I get the sense are doing a lot of transcription, so they might be transcribing for us and transcribing for the Freedmen's Bureau mm -hmm. records or some other places. Uh, so they'll do a bunch of work with us, and then they'll move on to one of the other ones, and then we'll upload a bunch of ads, and then there'll be a period of time when there's you know there's uh, 20 or 30 ads that we've just uploaded and haven't been transcribed. The bigger, uh, the, what, where it takes a little bit longer is that we then go through a verification process after they're transcribed. Uh, there's, you know, your um, viewers will note there's, you know, there's directions on there about not changing any spell, you know, not, you know, not fixing any of the spellings and, and things like that or adding any uh, returns or any of that stuff. So, uh, but what we do is then verify to make sure none of that's creeped in. And then we upload the verified transcription. And that will take us a little longer because we send that through a couple times to make sure nobody's missing anything. Uh, so often there's oftentimes when users get to the site, they're transcribing a lot of them. Uh, and we haven't yet sort of taken them down. You know, we haven't sort of uh, marked them as they're already, you know, they're not completed yet because we haven't had a chance to verify the transcription. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Mary McClellan says, thank you for this labor of love. And Henry Goins has this question. Are the ads regionalized and alphabetized? 
Um, that's a great question. Um, so uh, they, you can, if you look at the, the website, you can search um, by region, uh, by different, in different ways. You can um, go to, I'm looking at the website. I think Danya is going to bring it up too, but I have it here on my other screen. Screen, but if you look at the website, you can go to our map, um, which is on the uh, is on the homepage of the site. You can explore the ads by the map, so you can actually just go click on the map and 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 scroll over the region that you're interested in exploring, and uh, little dots will appear that allow you to, to to find ads that were taken out in different regions. Uh, you can also then we also have a list of states that you so you could you can narrow it down by state. So there's a, both a listing of regions and then there's a map where you can go by you can explore by region. Uh, the, I think that the rest of the question was um, they're not alphabetized, but you can search them by keyword. Um, and I think you, and then you can sort your um, results however you want to sort your results. Yeah. So I'm I'm on the website now and I'm scrolling through so you guys can see it. <laughs> so one of the ones I wanted to talk about um if you click on family reunions. Okay, hold on. <clears throat> mhm. Mm then Okay, well, the, I didn't even know this about Frederick Douglass. So this, that blew my mind that yeah. he was actually a beneficiary of this kind of, this kind of movement of reunification. Uh, but that's not the one I wanted to talk about. It was, oh, Amy Morris. Just such a wonderful story. Um, there she is. Okay, I'm seeing her now too. Yep. Mm -hmm. This the After one? 30 years. No. Uh, it's no. Amy Francis Ashley. Mm -mm. I think it's Amy it's, Morris. And then her other name is Amy Baxter. Is that what you were looking at? That's it. Yep. Okay. Well, no, actually, if I, you go, did I search her right? No, if you go I back you, to the if you go back to the home page. Or you can also just go to search and type in Amy mm -hmm. Morris if you want. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. what I did. Let me yeah, get yeah. exact match. Yeah, it'll be there. It'll be there. There it is. There you there you go. Yeah. So, okay. You know, and again, this is just the kind of this is the human nature of, of the whole thing. So she hasn't seen her mother for for thirty years. And I'm going to say this is actually one of the longer ones that I've seen. Mm -hmm. um, I'm going to actually go to the transcription. Oh, here it is. Mm -hmm. Lots of detail here. So just just kind of reading through it, the the level of detail that's there. So do 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 do. So she's talking about a. William okay. Eli, so again, names immediately. So she's like years before the War of Rebellion. So we know it's before 1860. Uh, 1860. There's William Eli Baxter. Then she's like a lawyer and a planter. So that's two different ways to be able to research this William Eli Baxter, both by his profession and the fact that he was a planter. Hancock mm -hmm. County, Georgia, gives you a specific place now to be able to do more research about Amy. Um, saying that he didn't live very far from the from the town of Sparta. So again, if you can get land plat maps for that specific part of Georgia, you may even be able to find where his property was. He owned 150 slaves, and among them, Ferebi. And the text has run out. Okay. It's right here. Everything you were oh, just right saying there. on the screen. Okay. Yes. Then she's saying when she was 10, Mm -hmm. I guess mm -hmm. one of his daughters married a, a Dr. Carroll. Mm -hmm. O'Carnell, sorry. Um, she was give, She's referring to herself as a marriage present, but if you wanted to act to see if a deed was actually done um, by the young woman's father, they're called dowry agreements. Dowry deeds, dowry agreements. Um, 
because again, it's getting into the whole property thing. Amy would have been her mistress's enslaved person and not her mistress's husband's enslaved right. person. Because right. exactly. that's kind of how that worked. Um, then she's like, she's saying where she lived again. She's with her young mistress. Then she leaves, oh, her mistress died and the mm -hmm. husband sold her. And I'm sure that her mistress's family was not happy about that. Um, to Austin and Chisholm, who were slave dealers, you can research them in newspapers because they, they always put up. Very, very, very accurate. She even sold what, said mm -hmm. how much she was sold for. My God. Mm -hmm. Then yeah. she's like, she says where she's taken to, Columbus, Georgia. So that's another geo place that you can find out more information for. Um, she gives her age the, this whole time, too. This mm -hmm. whole time. And I think that is just awesome that she gives her age because now you can, you know how old she is and when mm -hmm. she was born, just about. So mm -hmm. that next bit really tugged on me. Um, I knew it happened. It was still upsetting that she was held in a slave pen for two months. Not a couple of days, not a couple of weeks, because slave pens were hell. There, there's just no other way to describe them. They were hell on earth, worse in some ways than a prison. She was there for two months, and she was young. Um, but again, it just speaks to the fortitude that she survived it and moved on to the next part of her life and she just keeps dropping just this is the rich and really the rich information you get from these ads it's just information after information there's another sale mm. now she's in mobile alabama so she's just being moved all over yep. the place yep yeah she ended up in mississippi yep mm -hmm. she ran away i mean this this is this one is deep and she's got all the names, like you said, of, of the slave, uh, the traitors, and then the, her enslavers. Um, you know, she's got their first and last name of their enslavers. Um, it's it's really amazing. And, and if you think about how you hold on to all of that information, you know, at a time when you're not allowed to have literacy and, um, you know, and, and, or, access to the papers until after you become free. And this ad was taken out. What's the date on this? 1884. So it's, it's 20 years after the end of the war, you know, that she's had all of this, you know, she's carried this all with her for that many years, all of this mm -hmm. level of detail. It's Not any, again, I was, you know, I have to think during the whole time that she was enslaved, never knowing she held it but with no expectation that anything would be or could be done with it. As far as she knew, she was going to die. She was going to die a slave. And all of that information, unless she passed it on to her kids, were going to get, was going to go to the grave with her. Yeah. Um, so yeah. The, the fact that in the end, after all of this, she could reunite with her mother was just, it's just a really poignant and incredible story. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, and you and you also uh, think about this too um, that you know Amy either was literate, you know herself um, was literate and wrote this down, or in order to write it to the papers, or or alternately this was written by somebody at the paper. So there's also that interesting kind of dynamic where she's trusting this story to the papers, um, and. Um, yeah, and relaying all of this, you, you know, and I think about this a lot too. Like, how do you, how do you know, how do you know a name, a proper name, a, a surname, unless you've seen it written? Yet, right, she um, wouldn't have been allowed to, or wouldn't have, you know, would have been kept away from that kind of information. But she's got it all here. Um, three, four. How I lost count of how many different sales. There were a names. number. <laughs> but you're right. She, it fact, looked like it was about four or five sales just for Amy alone. I mean, she went through. She went. She she told you how she went through her hell in so many words. She just literally just told you, yeah, I went from this person to this person to this person to this. You know, she just where she was when she did it. That's just awesome. God, the mm. and amounts of money. I mean, that, those were specific. It's not like kind of around $900 or $700. It was like specific. 700 
900. Mm-hmm. So that was her. And, and you notice she kept going up because one was like mm-hmm. 1100. So that meant that meant something. Now, in my research, if a woman by herself is sold for $1,100, she's a breeder. Because that's a lot of money. There's a possibility that she was a breeder. And um, wow. Yeah. With that being said, she had kids that was possibly taken away from her. And, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, that's deep. So there was one more I wanted to go over. And then we can talk about how educators can actually incorporate this into, into their teaching plans. And this is something that I found this morning. And I told Damia, you will never guess what I found. So if you want to go to the, the search the search bar and type in Murray I've and already Brooks. done it. I've already done it. I'm, we're, we're ready. It's cute. So, I just got to give it to you. To kind of answer Henry Goyne's question as well, I was curious if anyone, because I've used this site before, but for my dad's side of the family, it never occurred to me to come back and do it again for my mom's. Um, I typed in Edgefield County, South Carolina just to see if there would be any in there. Well, there were six. Three of them I know for a fact deal with Donya Mai's extended family in Edgefield, so they're going to have to be researched. And yes, Donya, one of them is a Williams. Nope, I'm not doing it. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But then I came across this woman called Maria Freeman, searching for her husband, William Stokes Dozier, um, and Martha and mother, Maria Brooks. Now, For those of you who've been following genealogy adventures for years, you know that for me, the Brookses from Edgeville County are my cousins, but for Donya, they're her ancestors. They're direct, yeah. So as soon as I saw the name Maria Brooks and there's Edgefield, I'm like, yeah, this is going to be family. But this is a really good kind of genealogy teaching tool. So there's some things that kind of leapt out at me immediately. And I'm going to start at the very very end. So she said, my name now is Maria Freeman. Address me at Edwards, Harris County, Mississippi. And this this was an ad that was placed in 1881. So I immediately went to the 1880 census for Mississippi, typed in Maria Freeman. I'd guess that her age was probably, she was born probably sometime around 1830, just to kind of narrow down, because I thought Maria Freeman, there might be a billion of them. Quickly found out there was no place called Edwards, Harris County, Mississippi. There is an Edwards Township that's in Hines County, Mississippi. And there is no Harris County, but a Harrison County. So I didn't have enough time to search both places to, to see if I could, could actually find her. But as genealogists, that's something that we come, that's just standard. That's just something we come across all, you know, all the time. But then I went through her story. Um, and again, she's giving some very useful information. She's telling us that she left her family behind in South Carolina about 1851. Um, that her husband's name was William Stokes Dozier. Now that's not how Dozier is spelled. Instead of an S, it's a Z, a Z. or I think it's what Americans call a Z. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to forgive me. I've lived in Britain for a long time, and the the Britishness pops out. Um, so she's saying that a William Stokes Dozier was her husband. Now again, we very rarely see people, especially formerly enslaved people from our family. They may have had middle names, but you don't really see them in documents or anything related to them. It's usually their children's death certificates that their middle names pop out. Now, William Stoke Dozier is a very distinctive name. That was a very easy name to research for Edgefield for that time period. Mm-hmm. I could only find one, and he was a white enslaver. Um, and she goes on to say, but her husband was called William Stokes Dozier, and he belonged to Alan Dozier. Well, the Reverend Alan Dozier was the father of the white enslaving William Stokes Dozier. So I'm trying to work out, was she being coy and saying that it was the enslaver who was kind of the father of her two children, John Wesley and Willis? Or did Reverend Alan Dozier have an enslaved child that had the exact same name as his white son? 
It's possible because it's Edgefield and Donnie and I have seen this before where that has yeah. happened on numerous occasions. Especially the so, Yeldales. Especially the Yeldales. And so those, either one of those scenarios are credible at the moment until we actually continue doing the research. But she said she was sold away from them by Johnson Lowry. Now that was a name I wasn't really expecting when it came to the Brooks, at least the Brooks family, but we know who the Lowry's are. So again, that's another person for us to research. To Sam Watson, this is another woman who, she just went through it. So she goes somehow from the Dozier family to this Johnson Lowry, right. to Sam Watson, to Paul Delamire in Sumter County, Alabama. Now, she said, this is where she gives her genealogy. My mother's name was Maria Brooks. I left her in Mount Willing City, South Carolina. I can't remember what county that's in. And she belonged to a Dr. George Yardy. So there's in important information for us to research her mother. Her father's name was John Brooks, belonging to Smith Brooks. And Donnie and I figured out there's only one Smith Brooks that that could have possibly been. And that's Donnie's ancestor. Preston, Preston Smith Brooks. Mm. He is the only one that that could be. Mm. So we have to go back to his records to look for look for the um look for the for a John. That's not well, going to be. We easy. did find one. We did find one. We did one. We did. We found one. There was one John that was enslaved by Preston, but the names that she's given it doesn't doesn't match but this is where knows? it gets interesting because as she's been so specific about everything else some of it i've been able to verify and some of it i haven't but she said she had five brothers and two sisters the brothers for the most part all have different surnames from her bar one there's george coleman richard ruser and you and i have never seen ruser in our edgefield research no. philip christie willis christie again christie's not really a name that we've seen with with any of our family at least and then finally a john brooks but she has sisters who have classic brooks names amy and eliza but she never names them but interestingly she says heard from them her mm -hmm. sisters during the war mm -hmm. I, I i find i always think that's i i i always my ears perk up when one of these ads talk about um, the fact that they heard from somebody who they were separated from later, uh, because I think that's a really good um, way for us to think about how uh, enslaved people, um, you know, nurtured their uh, communication networks. And those were very useful for separated family members to, you know, to send out word through the Grapevine Telegraph and to receive word through the Grapevine Telegraph. This is um, uh, uh, you know, those are there are lots of those reminders in these ads about um, you know how enslaved people used these resources to keep track of one another, even though they were you know thousands of miles away from each other. Um, they kept their ears to the ground, and and those words were th those those um, you know uh, stories were passed along um, uh, when that kind of stuff was of course illegal for you to be communicating like that um, so I, I always find those references to be very interesting especially for somebody you know it, it sounds to me and i might be wrong um but she, she, she i i take it from this first reading of the ad that she was separated young so she you know, might have been young when she was. Well, no, no, she's no, she wasn't because she has a husband, so she was not. She would not have been. Well, she still could have been young. She still could have yeah. been young. Well, you know, she still could have been a teen. Yeah, she could have been between eighteen to twenty-one. Right, right, right. Somewhere, yeah. somewhere in that range. Right, yeah. right, right. Well, the thing is, is that when Brian came to us about what well, came to me about her, I immediately, you know, went into the Edgefield slave record book. Um, that that book was actually and I don't think you know about it Judy but that particular book was written by a woman um named Gloria Ramsey Lucas and she wrote the edge she what she did was she went to the edge she went to Edgefield archives and she went through everywhere some enslaved person could be written whether it was a will 
um, probate records, uh, land records, land deeds, whatever, wherever you could find an enslaved person, she wrote it down. And it's about, it's, I estimated over 15,000 names in the book. And when she wrote the book, she gave the name of the person, their current owner, their new owner, a description of them, if there was a description, and then where she found it and how much they were worth. Now, when Brian um, was talking to me about it, I immediately went to the book and I, where my family is. And um, there is, I know that my two times great grandmother, Martha, has a sister named Maria. Mm. I already know that. And, but Maria had two sons, Rob and Henry. So I still believe that this woman, this particular Maria Freeman is definitely related. I just don't know how. And it may not be Maria Freeman. It may be Maria Brooks. That just hit me. Because mm-hmm. her mom mm-hmm. is the Brooks, not mm-hmm. her. No, her father is the Brooks. Well, I mean, her mom is named Maria Brooks, though. From Because she was with John Brooks. She may be a Brooks under her own mm-hmm. steam, but I'm just right. working that she was the wife of gotcha. John, of John yeah. Brooks. Right, right, right. <laughs> So the thing is, is that we, we definitely, there's some type of connection there. Cause I know that my two times great grandmother had a sister named Maria, but she doesn't mention any, the names of the siblings that she's mentioned is, is not the same name of the siblings that we have so far, but because of the kind of people the Brookses were, it is not impossible that their mother was a breeder as well mm-hmm. so because mm-hmm. my two times great-grandmother was a breeder and who's to say that you know her mom wasn't one too so it, it it's it's fascinating it's definitely fascinating and I, I do believe like Brian said she is related to us mm-hmm. and I think I thought Judy brought up a really good point and it's something we haven't really spoken about that often and in the show is that kind of underground telegraph information system because that must have been an enslaver's worst nightmare because part mm. of the part of the way that the american chattel slavery system was devised was to scrub that back history out and to for those of you who were old enough to know your backstory to to make the penalties for talking about it severe so it's incredible that you know this information it didn't happen with this Martha's case, but in some of the adverts, I mean, you're talking about people in Louisiana, the deep, deep South, somehow commuting, communicating back with family who are in the upper South. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. yeah, more than you, more than you uh, can imagine that, you know, there are these references. And like I said, it's, you know, it depends. It, it seems like it, even, even people who are separated quite young sometimes are able to hold on to just enough information to send it back up to Virginia or North Carolina or Maryland or wherever they were from and get something back. Um, you know, um, so it's, it's, uh, that, that's a, it, it's, it's really crucial. And, and when they go, when they place these ads, they're sent, you know, again, they're sort of sending that information back through, you know, back the way it came and, 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 and it's stopping all along the way. Um, uh, these ads, of course, as you probably noted too, some of the ads will say preachers in the neighborhood of, you know, Woodbury, Tennessee, please read these ads out to your congregation. So the newspapers are then amplifying this information that has been, you know, um, covertly um, kept, you know, uh, back and forth along the grapevine telegraph has been communicated along that telegraph. And now after emancipation can be announced from the pulpit and in and in and in the papers. So my interest, I'm very interested in the transcribers. And like do you do you take down information? Because sometimes transcribers are just genealogists who are trying to help make sure everybody get their information. And is that it could be that one transcriber like if that one for Maria was not done and I found it and I felt like she was my family member, I would definitely do it. Is there information about the transcriber to see if they're actually connected to the the paper that they actually did this, the article that they did the transcription for? 
I do think most of our transcribers are genealogists who come across the site. I, I think most of, well, I, I, most of our users are, are genealogists um, and uh, they're the ones that are doing the transcription. We don't, we don't keep track of what each transcriber is transcribing because we have uh, several thousand transcribers registered. I am guessing there, are, there is a core of them that are doing a lot of the work and a lot of people signed up and you know and then moved on to another project um so uh i don't know whether or not there's a relationship between those that you uh you know ads that speak to you on a personal level and those that you decide to transcribe um but uh we did we do uh, know that we we have some overall data about uh the way people discover the project we do ask for that data as people as people sign up for a transcription we say how did you come to this project uh, you know, what's your interest? And and most people come to the project because they are doing their own family's genealogy and they discover that there's this opportunity to help others by transcribing an ad that, you know, that, that can then be searched. Um, you might find it interesting too, to note, um, that we actually had uh, some people come to the site too, because, um, and this is fascinating to me, and I haven't really researched it, but some people have come to the site and said, they, you know, because of a sense of an obligation to give back. And sometimes they'll say uh, it's a service project or something like that. We have a lot of students who come to us and say, my teacher made me do this. <laughs> so, you know, some, some professor will say something like, well, you know, you need to not just use the use sources, you should be part of the process. But I've, we've also had people who come to us and said that they're uh, descendants of enslavers. Um, and they came uh. to the project wanting to do something um yeah. which is very interesting um you know to to sort of think about the different ways people approach this project and 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 feel then you know feel some sort of uh compulsion to you know to 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 um to help the, help the project reach more people mm -hmm. wow and the other thing that i love about the website <clears throat> apart from the, the the actual advertisements that it has is you have an amazing educational resource whole section of the site if i remember it correctly um there are learning packets aimed at like fourth to fifth graders all the way up to university level yes. um can feel probably you know some some audience members watching us on, on television or wherever might freak out going fourth or fifth grade the and you, I'm going to ask you to talk a lot more about these packets, but as an educator myself or former academic, um, it is very age appropriate. There is a real pedagogy or learning structure around each kind of age bracket that, um, that the work is aimed for. But what I love is you've kind of done the educator's job for them. I mean, there are templates to download. There's you know, assignments to download. Can you talk talk um, some more about kind of what's there and, and how educators can actually use what's there? Sure, I'm. I'm. Uh, this is a very exciting part for me too because I use these ads in all of my classes that I teach. I used to also teach middle school um, uh, before I, I taught at Villanova, but I use uh, I do use these ads um, all the time, and we hear from people all the time that are using them in their classrooms. So what we have now, and, and we're really just getting this started, we're, um, I was telling uh, Dania and Brian uh, earlier on that we are working with the groups of teachers now in, uh, in different parts of the country who are looking at the ads and are, are starting to develop their own resources and we will be adding those to the site as well. But what we have uh, right now are some that uh, we developed in-house um, and in particular, uh, my colleague, um, Signe Formi, who's a professor uh, at the University of Texas at Austin. She is my collaborator on this project. Um, she has done a lot of work just in the last uh, four or five months to update and to add more uh, primary, uh, add more um, of these downloadable lessons, in particular, the younger lesson, uh, the, young, the ones that are, uh, are aimed at the younger audiences. Uh, which is, you know, which which we really have to sort of think carefully about what it is that they can, you know, what it is that you can do with the younger audience, um, younger students. So, uh, so what we have there now are um, a couple of lesson plans for that that we think are appropriate for fourth to fifth graders. Uh, some that um, just get them to do the 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 hard work of doing just what Brian and Donia were doing, and just sort of reading line by line an ad and thinking about what each you know what a primary source is and how 
you need to read it carefully differently than you do a secondary source. You're not reading it like a book or a website or something like that. You're reading it for every little piece of, you know, every clue you can. Um, you're, you're, you're doing that sort of close, careful, critical reading, which is something that students need to learn early on um, about primary sources and how to read them and how to analyze them. So these, uh, these first couple of lessons are, are, are really just getting the students to think about what it means to have a source like this um, and a source written by enslaved people. Um, not a source written about them, which, you know, they have plentiful in their classrooms, hopefully, and, and their teachers are using them. Um, uh, uh, they should be. Uh, but but to have a source written by, you know, an enslaved person describing their life is, um, is, is, is very unusual and very important for us to understand. Um, and so those are uh, th those are um, ads that th those are the, the lessons that the early the younger lesson plans are focused really on getting students to think about what exactly it is, you know, to have a source like this and how one goes about using it. Um, yeah, sorry. You know, talking, listening to you about this, I remember um, a lot of our our followers know I used to do I used to drive Uber. And so I would meet a, a different, you know, variety of people. And one time I was taking this one teacher from New York to Mount Vernon. And we would discuss different things. And I actually told him about the House of Bondage, the Charlotte Brooks book that I told you about earlier. And um, he explained to me that the school that he teaches at, it's more like a private school, so they take care of their own curriculum. They don't have to necessarily follow the state curriculum. So this is making me wonder, are the people that are that are that are doing what that are using your curriculum that you have for these younger kids and so on and so forth, are they private schools? Because public schools have to follow a certain, you know, have to follow a certain thing. And this is not a thing. <laughs> that most public schools would want, right? Especially yeah. now. So is this mo mostly private schools that are getting this information? Um, I don't know. We don't have, we haven't, we haven't, um, we haven't done sort of a systematic survey of where, uh, you know, where the um, ads are appearing in what classrooms. Um, but um, if you uh, open up the, some of the lesson plans, we, we, we talk in, in particular about the, the sort of essential skills that are required of all teachers teaching social studies uh, or teaching history. So, um, you know, that, 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 that you're supposed to learn it at all levels, like just, again, sort of identifying what a primary source is versus a secondary source is you know, um, uh, without controversy, something that we want every student to learn um, is a skill that we want every student to learn just for critical thinking and just to be, a, a, you know, a, an informed citizen. Um, so, uh, so each of our lesson plans is correlates with one of these uh, essential skills that that really for the most part cross state, you know, state lines and are used in, in, in all state curriculums. Um, so, uh, so, um, that doesn't mean, you know, teachers can choose their own examples to teach these skills, but, uh, we think these ads are particularly useful because a, um, and this is really important to think about too, they're typed. So if you actually want a student to look at a primary source and you're talking about a fourth or fifth grader and you want them to look at something that was written in the 19th century, it's often handwriting. And my college students at Villanova can't read handwriting. I give them a, I give them a handwritten source, handwritten source. And they're like, what do you want us to do with this? I can't read this. Oh, that's so and, funny. And so, and so the fact that these are typewritten, they're short, uh, right? So you're not asking them to read, you know, you're not asking them to read Frederick Douglass's, you know, slave narrative, which you should, right? But, you know, in a different context, you you should be, they should, everybody should be reading that. But maybe a fourth or fifth grader, you know, can read just the ad that we were just looking at um, from Maria Friedman and, and, and get an entire story of a person's life, it, you know, all sort of condensed into a short ad. So they're short, uh, they're chock full of, of, of the, you know, of great clues that you can teach students to think, to stop long enough and just think about each one of them as being an important clue and where you might go to begin to, 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 to find out more about each one of those things. So, so where would you go once you got the enslaver's name? You know, where, what would be your next step? 
what would be the question that you would have then after, you know, after finding that next clue? Um, so I think these are, are, are particularly useful in the classroom. And plus they're also written, um, a lot of these ads are written by people who were separated from their parents when they were quite young. So this is an experience that um, is, 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 is not foreign to a lot of our students. We know that, you know, we know that in the United States, separating people, young people from their, from their parents is not, it, you know, it's not, it's not an aberration. It continues to be an American thing. Hmm. Um, you know, we have students who, um, whose, whose parents are incarcerated and, 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 and they're not seeing their, you know, they're, they're not seeing their parents. We have parent, you know, children who are separated at the border from their parents. So this is, this is something that is real in, in many young people's lives. And to have some of these ads written by people who were separated at the same age as some of our, our own students in our classrooms, um, you know, uh, it, it, it could be meaningful on a whole other level uh, for, for young people to think about how this is not a new thing. Um, Actually, it just made me think of a psychological point. I don't think I've ever considered it before. So I'm imagining that any one of these people who placed an ad who were separated from their family on their own, those feeling of isolation, because kind of what you're talking about, modern kids having the exact same sense of isolation. Yeah. So kind of being able for them to, to make that connection. Absolutely. It's trauma. And we know now, you know, what, what people in the 19th century didn't know is that what trauma does to your brain, especially, you know, at all levels, but at a young level, when you are, you know, when you experience a trauma uh, very young, you can miss milestones along the way. Um, you know, it can be something that uh, can, can live with you. you. You know, you can have problems with trust later on. There's all sorts of ways in which you know, um, uh, we know about what it means that, you know, that people describe in these ads, we know what that meant for them uh, to have those experiences when they're very young and how that can make it difficult for them to find people later as well, because you can't hold on to information as, you know, sometimes you can't when you're experienced trauma, it's hard to, it's hard to hold on to those informations. You remember some of the traumatic event and you forget other parts because you have to just to, you know, just to survive, you, you, you know, you have to, to sort of, um, kind of piece together uh, memories as, 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 you know, as you need them. So, yeah. This is awesome. And one of the questions, one of the other questions I had about the, the kind of learning packets and the, the, the learning resources, um, what would be kind of one of the, the takeaways you'd, you would want, say, an elementary school age child to have as opposed to, say, a high school age child? Because you would expect those two very different kind of learning groups to have different kind of um, learning takeaways. That's a great question. Yeah, I, I, so I think for the elementary school students, I think um, what, you know, uh, the, the, for me, the most important lesson that they should take away from the packets and from using this collection is, is again, just sort of thinking about what it means to use a source written by and about the people that you are, you know, that you are studying, right? So if you're learning about slavery, which you should be in those, you know, uh, in those grades, the fourth and fifth grade, then to have a source written by an enslaved person, a formerly enslaved person, is important to think about what it means to use a primary source. Um, and then when you get to, and 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 that's just the beginning of setting, of planting the seeds for beginning to think like a historian thinks. Um, and then by the time they get to the high school, um, you know, the, the, the older lessons, then we are actually asking them to think like historians. So we're asking them to do the work that you and, you know, that Danya and Brian, you were talking about sort of, you're not just asking that question about sort of, you know, okay, she named her enslaver. You're then going to go, you know, we provide them with a, with a, a page from the census in which they can actually see where the enslaver is listed. And then, you know, and then what does that, you know, what does that new source then ask you to, to think? Uh, and how does it, what does it mean to sort of think like historians think? So we, you know, historians approach, um, approach uh, problem solving by asking questions, not coming with sort of answers that they hope to prove. They, they come to it, they come to this with a, you know, this is a mystery they want to solve and the questions that they have to ask to, to, to solve them. So by the time they get to the high school level, and even in my college classes, I have I ask them to, to begin to think like a historian, and also to, to, once they get assemble those pieces, to put them together and to begin to create a narrative. So how can you then take the pieces, you know, the the, the, the census that you found, or 
you know, or um, the newspaper article written at the same time as their ad that they took out or, um, or, you know, or letters that they wrote, or how do you start to piece those things together to begin to see what that person's life was, you know, what, what was their life like? Um, and also my, you know, my students at Villanova always want to find out if these people found each other. You, you pointed to an ad in which, you know, somebody said they found, you know, they got a letter. And, and so we, so we know that one was a, uh, was successful. Um, but the vast majority of, of the nearly 4,000 ads, we just don't know. And, and uh, so the first question my students always want to add, want is, can you show me an ad in which I know that we know that they found each other? Because that's a very human desire. Yeah. We want to know that this is solved. Um, uh, but I tell them, no, I can't tell you that. You're going to have to do that work. Yeah. Actually, you almost alley-ooped. And I wish we had, we almost may need to have you come back to answer this question. You, I found something that you said just riveting, and you're saying of teaching students to be historians. I'm going to say, and having, even though we've just met today, you know, we did have a bit of a chat in the green room, I'm going to assume you're going to talk about your, your meaning, I'm going to call it historian version 2.0. So not the historians of the past that were very selective and very edited out things, you know, I don't want to... I'm going to get in so much trouble on Twitter. I don't want to call it white supremacist history, but that's kind of what it is. It yes, that's is. what yes. it is. Absolutely. So yeah, okay, Twitter, go nuts. Just just go nuts. I, I said it. I so got you back. Thank you. <laughs> so I'm assuming that what you're talking about is a new kind of historian who actually tells history and not the bits that they like. Absolutely. Right. Those for, Those... Those are earlier generations of historians, and some of them are still around, uh, who who are approaching the past with you know an an, an, an agenda for for you know so, sort of sustaining uh, a status quo, which you know to this day is is about white supremacy. That's not that's not what historians are supposed to do. Historians are supposed to ask questions about you know from the perspective of you know of 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 people who lived then and and then to find the best possible sources for generations historians simply ignored sources written by or produced by enslaved people like the WPA narratives that we were talking about Tanya uh, for years historians just said oh well we can't really trust those WPA narratives because those people right we can't trust them because they were poor or because they couldn't read or or because they were old or because they were too young when they were slaves, you know, they can come up with a million different reasons for not using the source, but the re you know, but in the end it comes down to racism. Um, but how can you, but how do you write about slavery when you're actually ignoring all the sources at your disposal that were produced by the enslaved people? And these ads themselves, these ads are, are to date the biggest collection we have yet written by and about, and, you know, by, um, uh, uh, at formerly enslaved people. So these are 4,000, you know, voices that, that, that we didn't have, uh, most of which we don't have anywhere else. Um, mm. And, and if you're going to write about slavery, then, um, and you're going to be honest and you're going to be a good historian, then this is the kind, this is exactly the sources you, you should be using. Yes. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. And when we shut down, please don't leave right away. Because I have another question to ask you. Um, Brian, you want to talk about next week's show? I am just pulling that up. So basically, <laughs> next week's show, we're going to be talking about different kinds of research, different kind of record sets you can use, including uh, ship manifests to research ancestors who were sold down into the Deep South. So, so that is going to be... Go ahead. No, go ahead. Now, I was just getting ready to say again, Judy, you have been such a wealth of information today. And um, I know that our, 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 our audience definitely enjoyed it. And they were they were listening very intently <laughs> as right. I was because I mean, you guys just you just gave such good information. I'm and I'm going to become a registered transcriber. I'm just Yay. letting you know that. Great. I'm gonna. I'm definitely gonna do that. Sign up for that. Great. Um, so thank you, thank you. And and if any uh, any of your listeners or viewers um, have any questions at all about the project, uh, they can email us right there on the site. Um, and and we also have social media too, uh, so you can follow us on Twitter, um, uh, on Facebook, and and those places as well. But I'm I'm happy to answer any other questions that 
that anybody who uses the site can, can have. Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for being on the show. Everyone else, we will see you next Sunday, 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, E360 TV, as well as our YouTube Live and Facebook Live channels. And until then, I'm Brian Sheffy. And I'm Donya Williams. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday, guys. Take thank care. You. Thank you both. All right. Stay there. Don't leave us.